Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. If you're still taking notes, uh, <laughs> hopefully you're taking notes. If you're learning your way around the Bible and uh, you're still trying to figure out, you know, where everything is, well, it's in the New Testament. There's an Old and New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're starting a new series today. We're going for a, new, a few weeks. It's called Perspectives. And we're going to take just different scenarios and different situations from one of my favorite parables that Jesus told from the story of the prodigal son and where each character was, things that they were dealing with, what was going on in the world. Now, I know all of us have different stories, and that's okay. You know, my story was I was brought up in church. That may not be your story, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here, you know. But if you're like me and your story was you were brought up in church, then you probably have heard the prodigal son done over and over and over again. Matter of fact, you've heard it so often that when I first said we're going to talk about this, you may have thought, I wonder, if it's, I wonder if we can just slip out of here and nobody will notice and we can get to the restaurant before the Baptists do. And so, I mean, that's probably what you're thinking. And so, and the answer is no. And so, um, uh, and I love the Baptists. Uh, you know, I, I was a Baptist one time myself. So anyway, um, yeah, I say things funny and then I'm like, you know, people that don't know me could really misunderstand this. And then I end up spending the next three minutes explaining that, yeah, anyway. So um, <laughs> it's going to get better, I promise you. So, but um, or, you know, so the, the ones I'd heard so much of were the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son. I just heard those over and over again. But the reality of it is, is I can't tell you how many times I continue reading those and I see something new almost every time I read it. Just something jumps up and grabs me. Or I see, you know, just perspectives from a cultural standpoint. And so I'm going to lay out the groundwork this morning and then we're going to talk about the younger brother, the younger son and, you know, where he was and the transformation that took place in his life. So let's start in verse 1. And it says this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious. Everybody say notorious. Notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That doesn't sound like a very churchy group, does it? Now, when we think about tax collectors in our culture, it doesn't have the impact on us that it did on them. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, if you're a tax collector, we, you know, we love you, and, uh, you know, um, I'll just, I'm going to stop right there. I'll end up spending the next five minutes explaining what I meant when I said that. So, but anyway, we love you. But in their culture, tax collectors were viewed as traitors. They betrayed their people. They collected taxes from their own people and gave it to the Roman Empire to fund the occupation of their land. So, I mean, they were like the worst of the worst, and yet, they, so the religious people had nothing to do with them, and yet here they are listening to Jesus. And then if you, you may not have been a tax collector, but you fell into this category, notorious sinner. That wasn't a new rap group. That was notorious. <laughs> I'm off to a good start. Anyway, so, so uh, notorious sinners, I mean, it was just people that were just good at just being bad. You know what I mean? And they just, their sins weren't secret. They weren't subtle. They weren't hidden. They were out there. They were, everybody could see them. And it's like, that's just a bad dude right there. And so, so they, but they came, they were not anything like Jesus, but they liked Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's who I want to be. I, I, I you know, that I, I want my life to look like what Jesus would have it look like, but I want to love in such a way that even if you're not there yet, that we still, you still want to hang out. That's who I want us to be as a church. And so he went on to say here, he said that another notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law so happy that they were there because they knew that he had what they needed to hear. Oh, that's not what it says. Anyway, it says, 
so that the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, this made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So you had two groups that were there, the tax collectors and notorious sinners. They weren't attending synagogue. As a matter of fact, they felt disconnected, disengaged. And, you know, it wasn't always the synagogue's fault either. I mean, you know, in fairness, you know, they, they, just, they were just disengaged. It was just like not really what they wanted to do maybe at the time. Or maybe they had this picture. I've said this before that, you know, the problem with where we're at culturally today is there's still a large number of people that believe in God. But it's not, not that they believe in God that creates the issue or makes him okay or not okay. It's what they believe about God. And so a lot of the people that he was talking about that were the tax collectors and notorious sinners, many of them believed in God, but it's what they believed about him that kept them away. And so you had that group, and then you had the other group that were committed. They were committed to, the, to that religion. They were committed. The Pharisees, man, they were so staunchly committed that they were highly respected in the community because it played such a huge role in their culture, and oftentimes even feared that you don't want to get on the bad side of these Pharisees. And so you had these two groups that were there. One that was just kind of there living however they wanted, but there was something about what Jesus was saying that grabbed their attention. And then the Pharisees and religious leaders that were there, and they, they viewed this, this other group as a threat. So Jesus began to tell parables that spoke to both of them and to connect them together. And this is what he said in the very next verse. It says this. And he said, so Jesus told them. In other words, communicating to the Pharisees, he said, why are you even eating with them? And to the tax collectors and notorious sinners, he told them these stories. He said this, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy. Everybody say more joy. There's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So he's saying to this group that we're at odds with each other. And that we're there and we're listening. He told them this story that they could connect with. He said, you know, if one, you know imagine that there was a guy that had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away. He would leave the 99 and go after the one. And when he found it, he would put it on his shoulders and return home. And he would throw a party and they would rejoice. And he said, that's the way heaven is. That whenever somebody that doesn't have a relationship with God, because again, Jesus didn't come because humanity needed another religion. He came so that we could have a relationship with him and a relationship with the Father. And when that happens, there's joy in heaven. There's a party in heaven that takes place whenever somebody turns their heart towards God and receives Jesus in their life. And it was such a great picture. He said, you'd rejoice about that. They could understand. They could connect with it. And, you know, the, the great thing about it is not only did it say something to the one that wandered off, but it also said something to the 99 that noticed the care of the shepherd for all of them individually. That it said to the 99, hey, he would do that for me too. I remember when my mom had Alzheimer's and she was, you know, the last couple of years, it was just in the really you know, dark stage where, she just, you know, didn't know a lot of what was going on. And I just felt convicted, compelled that, you know, that we needed to take care of her. And so 
at some point we let her move in with us, and it really required us to put our life on hold for a while. And, and I, you know, my kids were, you know, they were in their uh, early to, to mid, you know, teen years. Um, and so, you know, there were things that they, they weren't getting to, we weren't getting to do as a family. And I remember I pulled them aside and I said, look, you know, there's two things I want you to know. One is, is that for us as a family, this is what we do. This is who we are. We, we take care of this. And I said, and I know that it's required you to have to make some sacrifices. There's, there's times that, you know, you haven't gotten to go on vacation. You haven't got to do certain things because we're doing what we believe because this is my mother. It's your grandmother. She's important to us. And I want you to see that, but I also want it to be just a reminder to you that just like I love her, I love you. And if you need me, I'll put these other things on hold for you too. That it needs to be a picture to you that just like we care for her, just like we make sacrifices in a way that nobody else should have to or would have to, we'll do the same for you. So we want it to be a picture. And Jesus, as he tells this story about the man that goes after the sheep, it didn't just speak to the one, it spoke to the 99 saying, all of you matter. So he tells that story. And then he continues on, he says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So, man, even the angels are like, yes. And they're celebrating whenever somebody gives their life to Jesus. Jesus, again, shares a story. And it has a cultural reference that a lady that has these coins that you know, it could be a dowry of sins or something that, that she does. But it's significant in worth for her. It's not just like losing a penny that culturally it's something that matters to her. And she loses that. And then she finds it. And then she tells her friends. And they celebrate because of the significance of that coin that was lost and that she found. And Jesus is trying to speak to the notorious sinners and to the tax collectors that you've been lost, but I'm looking for you and you matter to me. And he's communicating to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that they're not a problem, that they're not somebody that we're looking at to criticize or to be judgmental of, but they matter to the heart of the Father. And so I've come to seek them and save them, and we should rejoice along with the angels in heaven. So he tells both of these stories, and then it says this, he says, to illustrate the point further. So he says those stories, and then he begins to talk about the prodigal son. Now, I'm not going to read the whole, whole story of the prodigal today, just the, the parts uh, up to a certain place with the younger brother to communicate some things. So he says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Everybody say distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, many people don't realize this, but the story that Jesus is beginning to tell here actually starts out like a story that was familiar to them in their culture. That they'd heard the beginning of this story before. Now, as we read later on, Jesus actually changes the way the story ends. I'm sure there's some people as they're getting ready to hear it, they're like, oh yeah, we've heard this, we know what the, the moral of the story is and that type of thing. But when Jesus finishes it, he changes the cultural end so that it's different than what they were expecting. 
And so in this story, that for their culture, for one of the children to come and say to the father, I want my inheritance now, before you die, is an incredible insult. And in their culture, typically, that would be met with a sharp rebuke, maybe even a strike on the face or something like that. Get back in the field. What's wrong with you? But that's what the father did. The father gave him his share of the inheritance. Typically in their culture, that the older brother would get two-thirds of the share and the younger brother would get a third of it. And so even as I looked at it, you know, that there's some speculation that in the story that it was understood that for the father to give the younger son uh, part of his share of the inheritance, that he had to sell maybe some land or, or something that was part of his own personal wealth and diminish his own personal wealth in order for the son to have that and to be able to leave. And so it was really the son, they viewed this as if the son was saying, you're not dying quick enough. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my stuff now. Well, you can imagine as a parent how that would make you feel. You know, any of us that have been in a situation or circumstances before, and I'm sure you've been there where you felt like somebody's just using you. You ever been there? Where they don't really want you, they just want what you have. It's not really you that they care about. It's your approval, your resources, your things that they want access to. And if that wasn't there, they'd have no use for you. You ever experienced that before? So you can imagine how the father felt when in reality it was as if his younger son was saying, I just want your stuff. I don't want you. And so at the beginning of the story, the younger son, if you're taking notes, number one is this. Is that the son wanted the father's stuff, but not the father's presence. In other words, I want everything that you have. I just want to be around you. And he proved it. I mean, he didn't even wait for a long period of time. Just a few, it says a few days later, he moved not to a place close by, a distant land. Someplace way off. I don't have to deal with you. I don't have to be around you. Your influence is no longer a part of my life. Your voice on a daily basis will no longer be a part of my world. I just want what you have to give me. And as Jesus is telling this story, again, keep in mind that he's creating a picture of how some people live their life. But they want God's things, but they don't want God. And, you know, sometimes people, that could be the story of their whole life for whatever reason. But the truth of the matter is even for us as followers that we can go through seasons where, man, you know, just, you know, we want our prayers answered. We want what he wants to do. But as, but as far as engaging and saying, God, my world is yours, my life is yours, that sometimes we can go through those seasons. We're really not interested in that. But the younger son, his story began in the, as we you know, were introduced to him in this story that he wants everything that his father has, the things that his father can give him, but he doesn't want his father. What a heartbreaking picture of selfishness. What a, what a picture of just, just a heart that's distanced and hardened to someone that's been good to him. But that's where his story begins. I want what you have. I shall want you. And so he moves away. He moves away. You know, and as we look at this, you know, maybe there's areas in our life that we've taken that approach. That is, is that, you know, God, I want your blessing here, but I just want your presence here. 
I want your hand here. I mean, I, I, want, I want the things that your hand can do here, but, but I don't want it to correct me or direct me in my life. I, 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 just want, I just want your stuff. And we can have that mindset, and that's where the younger son was. So it says this. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he leaves his father's house. He moves to a distant land to get as far away from his father as he can. And then he begins to use the fa his father's stuff the way that he wants to. The life that he wants. Because he believes that freedom is found away from his father. That my father's house is too restricting. That it holds on to me too much. That I don't have enough liberty or freedom. So I want to be able to go as far away from him as I can and do what I want to do. He moves to a distant land. And he does whatever he wants to do. But as time goes on, he wastes all of his money. And a famine begins to strike. And then all of a sudden, he has nothing left. And so he begins to look for a job. And he ends up getting hired by a guy. Now, again, understand context matters. And the people that Jesus is telling the story to, this meant something was getting ready to say. That he worked for a guy and part of his job was feeding pigs. So again, to a Jewish audience, understand this. The pigs were like, they were the uncleanest of the unclean. And for a Jew to have to work for somebody that, you know, that was raising pigs means that he is a Jewish boy that came from wealth, was working for a Gentile. Who was viewed, you know, that they referred to Gentiles. You say, who was a Gentile? Anybody that wasn't a Jew, they, they referred to them in their religion as dogs because they were separated from God. So it was, it was the lowest of the lowest. And so he had to work for this person. He was, he, was so, he, was, he was so in lack that this is the place that he went. Now, I will tell you this much, that I've, I've seen a few pig pens in my life, and I'm not talking about my bedroom. I've seen a few pig pens. How many of you have ever seen a pig pen? Anybody here ever seen a pig pen? They, they are the nastiest things, right? And I've been around people where they, where they feed pigs. Pigs are not picky about what they eat. They're not like, oh, no, no, I've had my carb limit for today. No, I mean, they're just, you know, they just eat whatever they want to eat. I've never looked at what they're eating and thought, man, that looks pretty good. <laughs> hey, Cletus, why don't you distract him and I'll jump over the fence and grab it and maybe he won't notice. There's never been a time that I've wanted what that pig was eating. So, I mean, for him to look at that and be so hungry that he's like, that looks pretty good. I mean... He was beyond hungry. But he fell into the deception that's so easy to fall into. If you're taking notes, number two is this. Is the prodigal son thought he could find freedom outside of the father's presence. It's such a lie that my life would be better away from God. My life would be better away from the father. That, you know, I'm in charge of my life and I'm making my own decisions. I'm not restricted or limited. I'm not hindered by what he wants me to do. Life would just be better. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, and the book of Hebrews even talked about it when it talked about Moses. It says that he chose to suffer with the children of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
So, so there is something about sin that has an appeal that in the beginning that, you know, it's like, oh, man, this is, you know, I'm getting to do whatever I want to do. Nobody's telling me what to do. I get to be whatever. And there's pleasure in that. But it's part of the deception because eventually the returns that you get on it begin to diminish until eventually it's not even break even. It costs. And so the prodigal son, who was so sure of himself, whenever he approached his father and said, I want my inheritance now. I'm not willing to wait till you die. And I want it now. When I get it, I'm leaving. And I'm going to do what I want to do away from you. I'm not even going to be close where it's easy for you to come see me. I'm going to a distant land. As far away from your presence as I can. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And he did. Because in his mind, he believed that's where freedom was. But in time, he found out that away from the Father's presence is nothing but loss. Hurt. Some of the worst seasons in my life have been when my heart was a little cold towards what God wanted to do in my world. Some of the times I've created the most pain, not just in me, but in the people in my circle or in those moments. And so this was where the son was and he was in that place where you know, the place that he thought he would never be. The place, you know, he would never thought his story. I'm sure that he thought his story would be, I'm going to go away from my father, and I'm going to show them, and I'm going to do everything, you know, that I think I can do. And yet the picture of his story is not anything like that, not even close. And so he's working for this guy in this famine. He's so hungry that it, as he feeds these pigs, he's like, that looks so good. And so he goes on to say, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And then he says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, everybody say at home. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. He says that when he came to his senses, I think King James says it like this, when he came to himself. In other words, there was something in him that awakened to how blinded he'd been, how shallow he'd been, how selfish he'd been, and that he awakened to the fact that in my father's home it's different. That he'd really reached a place where it was no longer about what the father's stuff was or what the father could do with him. He just knew that his father's good and that being in his presence was the best place to be. And so he began to make his journey back. And so he began to make this turn in his life where he headed back to the father. And so, you, you know, in reality, what Jesus was giving was a picture of what repentance looks like. I think it's interesting, there's not, a, there's not an emphasis on the fact that his behavior changed, and yet I'm sure that it did. The emphasis is not, well, I was doing this, and I quit doing this, and now I'm doing that. No, 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 that's not the picture. The picture is, is that I'm away from my father. And even if my relationship won't be like it was, my father's good, I'm going to go back to my father. He didn't write him a letter saying, hey, dad, remember me. I'm kind of in a financial crunch. Could you loan me a little money? He headed back home. 
And the truth matters when we think about repentance, that repentance brought him back to the Father. When our emphasis on repentance is always just behavior. And again, don't misunderstand me. Repentance, as we begin to make that move, it does impact our behavior. But when it's just on behavior, there's sometimes through self-discipline, through personal growth, and things like that, that we can change our behavior and yet still be in the distant land. Sometimes we no longer do those things that are considered bad. We can still be indifferent to what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. We can become judgmental to those that, are not, that have not gotten victory over the struggles that we have gotten the victory over. This guy, his repentance was shown that it was, I'm as far away from the Father as I can be, and I'm going to go back to where he is. Whatever that means. Whatever it gives me access to. Whatever it is, his heart had changed so drastically that in one minute he was like, I want your stuff but I don't want you. That the next minute was, I want you whether I get your stuff or not. It was a change. Repentance takes us back to the Father. And this younger brother, who'd been so hardened, so arrogant, so indifferent to his father's heart, that as a parent you can understand that if one of your children's response was, you're, you're not dying quick enough, I want my inheritance. And that they left to be as far away from you as possible after they'd gotten everything from you that they could. How that would break your heart as a parent to eventually for them to wake up someday in that land and go, I didn't realize how good I had it. I didn't realize what really mattered was not the things that my father could do for me, but his presence. And that, when his heart awakened to that, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself then it wasn't like all of a sudden his behavior changed, although I believe it did. His location changed. He no longer wanted to be as far away from his father as he could, but he wanted to be as close to him, even if it meant that all he was was a servant. I just want to be with you. And it's a distinct picture of a perspective of a son that left a rebel and unappreciative to one that came back as a servant who was grateful for the presence of his father. You know, the truth of the matter is, as we tell this story, there's sometimes we can be telling it and somebody says, that's my life. That's my life. And other times there are going to be people who say, what well, seasons of my life or it's an area of my life where I want God's blessing here. I want his I want the things that he can do here, but I don't want his presence here. I, I want to be in charge. The real freedom is when I'm doing what I want, not what he says. And now I've discovered personally that every time I've done that, that it's always, left, it's always led to brokenness and destruction. That freedom is only found in one place, and that's in the presence of the Father. Change is only found in one place, and that's in the presence of the Father. That when we return to him, that he begins to free our hearts from the things that have latched onto us, that break us. I know as we begin to share this story over the next few weeks, that there'll be areas of your life that we'll, we'll locate ourselves in. Areas where, there may be areas where like, oh man, right there, I'm just like the older brother. There'll be other areas where like, oh man, I'm just like the younger brother. But this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want us to take just a minute and spend a moment with God. And for us, 
to let the Lord deal with us if there's any area in our life where we're just like the younger brother that we want the things that God can do for us, but we're really indifferent to his presence. We're really indifferent to his voice, to what he has to say. And so let's just spend a moment with God. While we're doing that, if you came and you're one of the people that signed up to be baptized, if you'll make your way towards the back, they'll direct you. Let's just, let's just spend a moment with God and let the Holy Spirit just deal with us about our lives.